0: Welcome to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with researcher, author, lecturer, counselor, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff has written Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents become important influencers in guiding their kids to success. He also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone about kids departing the faith they were raised in. You're invited to learn more about the program and Jeff's book, at revivefamily.com. It seems there are many tragic events in our world these days. Every week or so, there's something that's a major tragedy. And uh, let's talk about kids and how we help them process this evil in the world that they perceive as a loss, as a painful tragedy, or at least people around them do. I suppose that uh, parental reaction to the tragedies in our world have a lot to do with our kids process what they hear what
1: they see you know Jonathan in our world today you know we've just recently had the synagogue shooting and um these types of tragic events can cause parents to react You know, we can have feelings of horror, of loss, of injustice, and then we try and figure out, how do we explain this? How do we understand what's going on? And that can lead to all sorts of questions that we may have, like, why does this happen? What can I do to protect my family? What do I say to my kids? Why would a loving God allow things like this to happen? And all of those questions and all of those feelings are completely valid. But how we as parents look at, understand, and react to these events, our kids are going to pick up on. It's interesting. I found from doing all the coaching I do that kids oftentimes are picking up on their parents' feelings, their nonverbal communication. So even if we're not talking to our kids about them, our kids are perceiving things As to how we're reacting to these events. Mm -hmm. And obviously how they end up processing them can have a dramatic impact on their lives, uh, how they view the world,
0: and even where they'll go in the future. Let's talk a little more specifically about what happened in Pittsburgh. Um, So that was covered by television, radio, newspaper. You could read about it online. Is it advisable for parents to bring the kids together, bring the child into a family discussion about this and what our thoughts are on that topic? In fact, the research is
1: showing that, yes, you know, talking with our kids about these
0: events is absolutely essential. Proactively bringing them in, not necessarily waiting for them to pose questions about it. But to say, you've heard about it, you saw it on television, let's sit down and talk about this. Right. They
1: need the truth. They need the information to be able to feel secure. Because let's say you're in Durango, Colorado, and your kid hears about it, and they're thinking, man, this happened right next door because they don't understand geography depending upon their age just giving them the sense that this happened in a big city far away can begin to give them a sense of security. So the more information they have, it's actually proving the more secure they feel. But what's been fascinating for me is the change that's occurred in my own view of these events because we as parents, if we react, if we're horrified, if we're mortified and we're communicating in that fashion with our kids about the event, We can cause them to adopt a fearful mindset. If we're fearful, if we're feeling like everything's out of control, if we're feeling like there's no way we can really protect our families, our kids are going to pick up on that. And fear can rob our kids of so many experiences, so many, even the willingness to try Fear can be a crippling emotion. So how we look at these events and how we process them is essential if we're going to sit down and
0: talk with them, talk with our kids about these tragic events. Mm -hmm. Do you advise that parents ask questions of the kids to see what their level of understanding is, how they're currently processing, before you're offering any suggestions or recommendations?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think parents need to um, be wise in how they approach these things with their kids. Um, If their kids haven't heard about it, and for whatever reason, then is there a a need to dive into it? Obviously not. But if the kids have heard about it, we've got to be prepared to realize that they may or may not be ready or willing to talk about it right away. In fact, a lot of the research will say that kids will sometimes be ready to ask questions about it and talk about it two, three, maybe four months after an event that has Mm -hmm. happened that they've heard about. So we've got to be in a constant position of openness and of letting them know we're here for them and to answer their questions. Um, we give them the information up front, we ask them questions, but if they're not ready, it doesn't mean that there isn't stuff going on in there. Hmm. It may just not surface for a season.
0: Wouldn't it be a common question to, for a child, uh, a teenager, to ask how could someone do that to innocent people? Isn't that going to be a question at the very outset? I mean, how could someone do that to others? Well, I think I think
1: a lot of parents are asking those questions of themselves, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. we might say, well, we attribute it to evil. But for me, the journey has been an interesting one because I've had four kids over a 13-year span. And so I know how I reacted to September 11th and now how I react to tragic events, and they're very different. Where mm-hmm. I used to look at these things Almost exclusively through my mind's eye of right and wrong and good and bad. And I would be mortified, horrified, you know, quick to be harsh related to the people that perpetrated these events. Um, God took me on a journey. And He took me on a journey with a counselor that looked at me and said, Jeff, you have a shut down heart. And I argued with that, but eventually came to the conclusion that she was right. Because of all the things I had been through in my life, there were a lot of hurts that had stacked up within. And that, you were keeping the right and wrong list. Oh, right? yeah. I was totally. Because when your heart is shut down, your compassion is shut down. And when your compassion is shut down, it's all of, relies on the head. And the head can judge, the head can keep a checklist right, wrong, good, bad. Um, it can be judgmental. It can be condemning. And so as she challenged me and helped me turn and face my pain and go through the grieving of that pain, it was amazing how my view of the world changed. Because now when tragic events happen, I could actually relate to the actual emotional feelings of the victims and their families, which gave me a sense of compassion, of sadness as opposed to anger and and judgment. I could also find that I started to have compassion for the
0: perpetrators, which may sound completely crazy. It does. (laughs) Why? It really does. Why does it sound crazy to you? I I want you to expand a little bit more on your identification with the people who are suffering the heartbreak and the sorrow before I want to take a look at uh, your identification with the perpetrator. Right,
1: right. Um, You know, the identification, as my heart came back online, um, it gave me the ability to emotionally put myself in the place of someone sitting in a building while shots are ringing out and the sheer terror and fear and and the, the ongoing impact that would have for them. But then you think about the families who lost people and the suddenness of the loss and the feelings of we often have of regret of not having said everything we want to say. It gave me this window of looking at this through the eyes of the human perspective, the emotions, as opposed to the facts, the horror, the tragedy, the right and the wrong. It gave me that ability to relate on an emotional level with what was happening and where people were at in the situation. I found that sharing those things with my kids actually has been um, really powerful. Um, helping them look at these things beyond the horror and the right and the wrong Mm -hmm. has really helped them process and look at these things differently like it has me.
0: So you're saying look at the personal sorrow, the heartbreak, the tragedy that will linger in the lives of these people who just experienced a massacre, whether it's at a school or whether it's at the Jewish synagogue.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think the part that I said earlier, uh, you know, about starting to even understand and have compassion for the, the perpetrator. Um, I know that sounds so crazy and it seemed crazy to me initially, but as my heart opened and as I started doing all of this coaching with families and very troubled kids, what I found is so many of those troubled kids had pain in their hearts they had wounds that no one had helped them turn and look at. No one had been targeting. No one had been helping them talk about. They hadn't been grieving them. They hadn't been crying and going through a healthy grieving process. So these pains were stuffed in there on top of each other over and over. And these kids, as a result of the hardness and the darkness in their hearts, were saying and doing things that you know would just shock you. Some kids literally punching their dad in the face while he's driving down the road. Okay. And you look at that and say, that's wrong. Come down on them, you know, take everything away. But when you get in and start looking at these troubled kids, they're hurt and they don't know how to deal with the hurt. And when I look at so many of the tragic events that have happened in our country, we look at their history and they've got a history of crying out for help, but being lost, but not being heard not being helped to deal with what's really going on lost. inside. Yeah.
0: Lost in the muddle of these tragic events that are way too, way too common in our culture.
1: Right, and the, and the perpetrators are the ones that often have been lost. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been through issues, they've had issues, but no one's really heard them, no one's mm-hmm. really understood them, Those no really helped them heal the wounds inside. And so when I look at these situations, I see woundedness on all sides. And when you do that, when you begin to look at it through those eyes, what you talk about and what you share with your kids changes
0: dramatically. You're listening to Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. More in just a moment. If you're
1: intrigued by the content in this radio program, I want to encourage you to visit revivefamily.com and sign up for our free webinar. If you desire to have the type of influence in your kids' lives that will have them asking you for advice, please explore our research and the key concepts behind Influential Parenting. It's available now online. You can sign up for free today and begin watching by going to revivefamily.com forward slash webinar. That's revivefamily.com forward
0: slash webinar. Welcome back to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We're talking today about kids processing tragic events, parents providing the right kind of wisdom and counseling after public tragedies, Uh, personal tragedies too, probably more personal tragedies hit these young people so much closer to them. How do they process the loss of A relative, a grandparent, uh, etc., and uh, sometimes maybe tragic and maybe just the course of life,
1: right? You know, but there's it, the loss, there's there's loss and there's pain in everyone's lives. A lot of kids go fairly unscathed, I think, um, just because of the age of their parents, uh, the age of their grandparents, you know, they may not confront. Someone really dying until their teens, um, but I know that they're going to confront in this crazy world uh these these acts that you know are tearing apart high schools, and you know you see rallies taking place after the the massacre at the Florida high School of all these kids trying to figure out how to feel safe again um, how do we? Um, get back to life and joy and peace. And for me, so much of that has been beginning to try and look at things through Jesus' eyes. He looked at the crowds with compassion. All the people that were making mistakes and hurting others and, and taking advantage of others, whether it be the tax collectors or whatever, he lo- it says he looked upon the crowds with compassion because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And when we look at these tragic events and I look at the lives and the histories of the people that have been involved, boy, you can see that. They're helpless and harassed. They haven't had a shepherd. And so when I'm talking with my kids around these events, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, not just the victims and and the grief and the pain and the situation and the fear. Um, and, and, and getting them to think about those other people outside themselves, which then often opens them up to talking about if this created fear for them and why, and how do we look at that and how do we deal with it. But also looking at the person who has gotten in this horrible situation where they believe violence is their only answer, their only outlet, and helping them look at them with eyes of compassion. Because it's that compassion that I see Jesus had. For everybody, for the prostitute, for the rich young ruler, for, uh, that, that changed the lives of the people he came in, in contact with, that made them feel like they could be loved and cared for and that they didn't need to do extreme things. And I just wonder if these people that get in these situations, that get to these desperate, desperate places, if they ran into a good shepherd, someone who didn't see a troubled person
0: but saw a hurt person. So you're really kind of going down the path of let's prevent these kinds of things by loving in the style of Christ. It, exactly. By and Accepting by, and offering compassion and shepherding. Exactly.
1: And if we were to do that when we see troubled people as opposed to avoiding them, I wonder what would change. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of these things are actually preventable. But that's the type of thing I want to talk about with my kids. Mm-hmm. I want them looking... Way beyond just the tragedy and the horror of the event. And I want them looking into the hearts and the lives of the victims of the families that have lost people. And I want them looking into the lives of that, that poor soul that was in such a desperate place that they did these horrible acts. Because it's in that that my kids find a deeper level of understanding and peace. And then they also find care. And I've found my kids reaching out and helping kids in, in the schools here that are struggling because they're looking beyond the behavior and looking to what's going on inside.
0: Mm-hmm. We mentioned earlier, and people do say it a lot, there is evil in the world. And I would guess that teaching the good and evil, the right and the wrong is something that starts from a very young age. But it must spring up again, the concern over horrific evil. And my question is, how does the parent help that young person realize that there's probably some element of good and evil in each of us? Hopefully we're in those of us who've been brought up in the church, at least are in some degree of continual prayer, working through some situations where you kind of debate, should I do that? No, that would not be good. That would be evil. I won't walk that path. I will take the road less traveled here and try to be better about who I am. But the whole discussion of good and evil has to come up in situations like this and discussing horrific tragedies perpetrated by individuals. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, if you see the woundedness in the person, then you can see easily how— Darkness and evil can come into them because they're hurt, they're wounded, they get angry, they get bitter, they get resentful, they get angry, they get frustrated. So it's the wounded wound others then, too. Right. And so for us, how do we deal with that that in our, our kids in our lives? It's looking at really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's our guide. The Holy Spirit convicts the world cosmos of sin and of righteousness, and that says that he's working in everybody's life, not just believers, because it's cosmos. And so we're always pointing our kids to what's that still, quiet voice saying about the situation, about the decision that you're facing? What is that spirit that indwells deep within us communicating? And that's where we found you know, it, the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5, 5, pours love into our hearts. How can I look at these situations with the eyes of my heart and compassion as opposed to the eyes of horror and anger? Injustice, it's through the power of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. And it's those things that I find oftentimes we're not talking about with our kids around these tragedies.
0: Mm -hmm. It certainly seems that uh, there is a spiritual growth opportunity and uh, a growth as far as wisdom is concerned when parents and kids talk about these kinds of issues. And uh, I think uh, as a parent and grandparent, I would have to look at these situations as a teaching and even a learning opportunity to possibly even be learning something from younger generations about how they're processing it because they see the world differently. With the impact of social media, the impact of, you know, so many movies that are in their lives, so much television viewing is in their lives, more so than an older generation
1: well, with our kids, you know they're going to see these stories somehow you know if even if we as as parents may be limiting access when they're around others, I mean these things are getting up on YouTube. You know, things are flying around so quickly. I'll never forget my daughter coming home and saying, yeah, some kids had sex at at the high school today on the field. And I'm like, how did you find out about it? Well, it's already on YouTube because someone saw it out the window and YouTube didn't post it. And the whole school knew within, you know, an hour Mm. of the event being caught on camera. So we can't really shelter our kids today. And so we've got to get more proactive in communicating and understanding and helping them understand the things that are going on around us. And there's really four things that um, psychologists recommend when it comes to dealing with tragedies. It's one, be truthful. Um, Give them the facts so they feel secure, but then be prepared to spend time with them. Part of providing security after a tragic event is spending time with them. Even if you're not talking about it, being together is essential to replacing that sense of security that might have been lost.
0: So the facts of the issue, but also some degree of sharing, I would guess, about how you, the parent, had had processed that. Exactly. Especially on the emotional front, talking
1: about the feelings and emotions. Um, The second is encourage their questions um kids oftentimes are fearful of asking the questions they may not even fully understand the questions they're trying to to bring up and so sharing our feelings and saying how you know is this how you feel and if they go i'm not sure how i feel sharing some different feeling words they might be feeling to to prime the pump as they try and learn to process their feelings and talk about their feelings and share their feelings is really important but It's really important to realize that kids often process these things slowly, and you may have to answer questions about something two or three or four months after it's occurred. And so Mm -hmm. that's really important, that you keep the door open to those questions as time goes on. And possibly
0: even plan on revisiting that.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. You need to come back and revisit, especially if they haven't really talked about it previously Mm -hmm. or asked questions previously. Mm -hmm. Then you need to help them know that their feelings are normal. And that they should cry, they need to cry if they're hurt, if they're that troubled by it, that crying is natural, that it's positive, it is God's way of letting pain out, and that we need to encourage our kids to cry and grieve. Um, Mm -hmm. Something that, you know, my generation, of course, don't cry, you know, be strong actually not healthy. It may be why we're encountering so many issues like these in our, in -hmm. our culture today is we've shut off that outlet for pain Mm -hmm. in our society.
0: And isn't the step after the fourth, what can we do? Is there anything we feel so helpless? What can we do to help prevent this? Certainly reaching out to troubled people, offering love and compassion, Understanding, et cetera, but right, what it's else? also
1: you know educating them on the signs to look for if they've got someone in their school that's dealing with troubled situations, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. giving them the permission to come to you and share that, and talking, you know, encouraging them to talk with that student, encourage them to reach out and talk to a school counselor. There's a lot of ways things can be prevented, but it requires us to be attuned to the people around us, not just the right and the wrong, but what's going on in people's hearts. Are we noticing that they've gone from here to here emotionally? And then are we willing to step in and be that compassionate shepherd in their lives? And so we we encourage our kids to be on the lookout for that all the time, which gives them a sense that they have a way to be involved, to make a difference, just like frankly, Jesus made a difference in the lives of so many people that were making so many mistakes and heading down roads that would lead to such darkness that you might do something really radical. Jesus was cutting that off at the pass hmm. with his compassion, his care, his loving
0: intervention in people's lives. That's it for this edition of Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Shutt. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support.